What's up, everybody? Pastor Matt here. Thank you so much for checking into the podcast of Gospel Fellowship PCA. Hey, listen, what if I told you that there is a solid, biblical, doctrinally faithful, reformed church on a beautiful campus just a stone's throw north of Pittsburgh? Yeah, we don't have a Starbucks in the lobby. Sorry about that. We don't have a fog machine. We don't have an American Idol stage with laser lights shooting all around. But we do have the sweetest, kindest people in the world. We sing the Psalms and classic hymns of the faith. We preach the Bible chapter by chapter. We believe the whole thing's true. We love Jesus. We're on a mission to share the good news of the gospel with the world. Would you be interested in a church like that? Well, come check us out, Gospel Fellowship PCA in Valencia, Pennsylvania. Please feel free to visit our website at gospelfellowshippca.org and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Gospel Fellowship Presbyterian Church. All right, thank you so much. Here's today's message. Grab our Bibles. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to finish up the chapter this morning with this last paragraph. Uh, when you find 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, let's stand up together for the reading of God's Word. We stand because God's Word is infallible, it is inerrant, it is inspired, the very Word of the only true and the living God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's look at verses 17 to 20 this morning. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Amen. You may be seated. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? And if we had the knowledge that we have now, we might have done things different in our personal lives, um, in our church life, for instance. I, you know, if I, th- I think back to twenty twenty when the virus hit us for the first time, and we're all kind of figuring out what this thing is. Nobody knew. Nobody knew what the virus was and what it was going to do to us. Um, If I could go back to 2020, I probably would do things a little bit differently. For instance, I probably would not have gone to video-only worship service during March, April, and a couple of weeks in May. I probably would have stayed in-person service, knowing what we know now. Now, I don't regret it necessarily because we were acting on the information that we had at the time, right? And nobody knew what the virus was going to be and what it was going to do. We thought maybe this was like going to be the plague that wiped out civilizations. I remember hearing some reports coming out of Iran the very early days that 8 to 10% of people that were getting this thing were dying, and so we didn't know. And so we were trying to do what we, what we knew, what we thought was right at the time, trying to listen to some of the government's recommendations. We were listening to some denominational recommendations, and so we did what a lot of churches did for, I think it was six or seven, eight, eight weeks, something like that, We closed our doors and we went to video service only. We didn't know what was going to happen. Listen, anybody that says they knew the whole time what this was going to be is gaslighting you because nobody knew. Nobody knew. And so we did our best in the moments, stand by our decisions. But if we knew then what we know now, I would simply say that I probably would not have closed the doors during those times. In fact, sort of to the place where I'm pretty sure I would never do that again, 
no matter what. And there's a reason for that. It's, it's not that we're playing fast and loose with, with people's lives, but the reason that I probably wouldn't ever do that again is because of some of the things that Paul is saying here in this particular paragraph that we're looking at today. Now, I know it has nothing to do with pestilence uh, or illness or anything like that, but Paul says something here. He's talking about the preciousness of Christian fellowship. That's the theme. And in this paragraph, Paul is extolling what is to us the most precious and sacred of of obligations and opportunities, and that is to be in the presence of one another. There's something special about Christian fellowship that it cannot be replaced by anything else that this world has for us. There's something beautiful and sincere and glorious when Christians get together. Paul is describing it in this text, and it's for that reason, because of the preciousness of Christian fellowship, I don't think I would ever make that decision again. Now again, can't regret what the past is. We did the best we could at the time. But Paul here is is clearly showing his heart for the saints. Paul is now separated from the Thessalonians, and you can see in this text, can't you see his heart? Can't you see Paul wearing his heart on his sleeves? Paul is a pastor who truly loves his people. My goodness, would that all pastors love their people as much as Paul loves the Thessalonians. Now remember the context of Paul's relationship with the Thessalonian church. It was short-lived. Only a couple of weeks according to Acts chapter 17. We've gone over this background information before. I won't belabor the fact with you. But it wasn't that Paul got bored of the Thessalonians that he left them. Uh, It wasn't because Paul even completed everything that he had to teach the Thessalonians that he left. Because we know a part of the reasons why he's writing these two letters that we have here, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, is that his teaching was not complete and needed to be supplemented, especially when it comes to uh, some of the matters related to the end times, which we'll get into as we move through this series. Paul didn't leave the Thessalonians because he wanted to. He didn't leave because he got bored. He didn't leave because the teaching was done. The reason Paul left the Thessalonians is because he was going to be killed if he would have stayed. That's why. His life was in danger. And yet, if you look at this simple paragraph here, we only have a few verses before us this morning, 17 to 20. It's pretty evident that the main theme that ties together these few verses is the precious nature of what we have right here this morning, which is to say, the beauty of Christian fellowship with one another. And so we're going to look at that this morning. In fact, I'm going to do a a little alliteration here. I'm going to give you three main points this morning. They all start with H. So if you're taking notes at home or in the margin of your Bible, we're going to look first of all this morning at the precious uh, uh, hearts of Christian fellowship. So the heart of Christian fellowship, that's the first H. And then we're going to look at the hindrance to Christian fellowship, the hindrance to being together. We're going to see that coming up in verse 18 especially. And then finally, the hope of Christian fellowship. So these three things this morning, the heart, the hindrance, and the hope of Christian fellowship being together. I hope you have your Bible out with you. Let's do this together. Verse 17 is our our beginning text. Here's what Paul says here. I look down at your Bible as I look at mine. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, right? We endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Now Paul's role here 
um, is an, as an itinerant evangelist, which means that Paul moves from place to place. We see this throughout the book of Acts. And Paul's main goal and desire is to set up churches or missionary outposts all over the Mediterranean area. Right? So he's an apostolic missionary evangelist. He's not necessarily a local church pastor like I am who stays in a particular place for Lord willing, years and years and decades and decades, right? Paul's job is to set up churches, and then he moves on. And sometimes he does that quite willingly because he considers his work to be done in a particular place. But because Paul loves the Christian believers, he continues to maintain living, vibrant, real, person-to-person, name-to-name, face-to-face relationships with all of the churches, And so we see that whenever Paul writes letters, he's telling people, greet this person and that person and that person and give this person our commendations. Paul knows and he loves the believers, right? And so it's a a pain in Paul's heart when he's torn away. That's the word we have in our ESV right there in verse 17. When he has to leave a church, it hurts him. Even though that's his job, he moves around. And you'll notice this if you read the epistles, most of Paul's letters he will very often and from time to time apologize to churches that he can't be there more often in person. There seems to be a real tension between him and the Corinthians, for instance. Paul is almost apologizing every other chapter in the Corinthians that he couldn't be there more often. They're faulting him for this. And so 1 Corinthians 16.5, 2 Corinthians 1.16, he says it to the Romans. He's never even been to the Roman church and he's already apologizing. He can't be there in person. Romans 1.10, Romans 15.22. The Colossians, he says something similar in Colossians 2.1. Paul wishes he could be, of course, with everybody all the time. And that's just not possible for him, especially in his role. And so in this case, though, with the Thessalonians, it's especially painful because he did not consider his work to be done in Thessalonica. And so if you look down at your Bible, circle the word torn if you have the ESV, because the word there, it's more than just like a ripping. That word torn sounds like it means like a ripping of a garment or some material, but literally the word in the Greek there means orphaned from them. So if you've got the NIV or the NASB in your hand, you might have the word orphan there for that same verb. That's more accurately a translation of this Greek idea here. It has to do with family being separated from one another. That's what he's feeling. And we've seen some images on our television sets, especially on the southern border, of children being separated from their families. And you, you see these, these heart-wrenching images of kids standing there alone, and you're like, oh my goodness, what is this child feeling? Paul says, that's what I feel. I've been ripped away from my family. That's the word he's saying here. And he doesn't like it. It hurts. And so there's a couple of corollaries here from the heart of the precious nature of Christian fellowship. Let me, let me mention a couple of sub-principles under this. I'll give you A here. The irreplaceability of fellowship when we are together. There's nothing like it. Can't replace it. Video doesn't do it. Now look at the language that Paul describes here in verse 17. He says, My heart, I feel this from my heart. I want to be with you face to face, eagerly and with great desire. And the reason why Paul wants to be with them face to face is what he wants. Is because of what we are as human beings. We are not, listen, we are not disembodied spirits or minds floating around there in the ether. That's not what human beings are. Uh, We are embodied souls. We are souls with bodies. 
Uh, We need fellowship. We need tangible fellowship. The Greek and the Hebrew both have this in common. Whenever the word uh, for presence comes up, it is literally the face. And so throughout Scriptures, when we talk about the presence of God or the presence with one another, uh, we're talking about this kind of idea of of face-to-face. We can see each other. We're with each other. We're there in person. In fact, uh, m- much of the language that we even incorporate into, into our, our Christian phraseology depends upon in-person fellowship, right? So we talk about like the right hand of fellowship. Well, that's a metaphor for being close enough to grab the person you love and trust, right? And when we ordain people, what do we do to them? We lay hands upon them. That's a literal action that requires proximity with one another. Uh, Paul talks in many of his letters about the holy kiss. Should we ought to take that a little bit more literally here, perhaps? Some of you are like, whoa, I don't know if I'm ready for that this morning. But the holy kiss was a sign that they extended to one another in greeting. Hi, everybody. My name is Rob, and I am a deacon at Gospel Fellowship PCA. I'm also the sound engineer, the camera guy, and the podcast manager. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please come visit us in person. Gospel Fellowship is a Bible-believing church just north of Pittsburgh, and you can find us at gospelfellowshippca.org. See you next time.